Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ember Perspective. I'm your host, Stephen Eibach. In Ember Perspective, we seek to create an atmosphere for meaningful conversation and expect to find a greater perspective on how different people experience and relate to God. As you listen, know that you're welcome to any of the rhythms, tools, ideas, truths, or processes that we delve into. If you find them to be helpful, take them and bring fresh perspective to your life journey as you are relating to and experiencing God. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of Emperor Perspective. I'm Stephen Ibach, the host of the podcast, and today we are actually here with a very good friend of Phil Rice's, and his name's Tim Ulrich. Um, and I'm actually going to let Phil kind of talk about how that friendship uh, exists. So Tim has a fantastic and incredible value for life together, and um, I love his family. I love his approach to following Jesus and. Uh, I'm just always so inspired when I get some time with this guy. So, um, so Tim, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, man. It's good to be here. <laughs> so Tim, give us a little bit of, uh, give us a little few tidbits about you. Uh, what, what's your family look like? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'm in my early forties married to a chick who's in her late thirties. Her name's Leanne. She's a warrior freak show. I love her. Um, <laughs> she and I have four kids. Um, and uh, I have a 12-year-old daughter, a 9-year-old son, a 7-year-old son, and a four-and-a-half, soon-to-be five-year-old daughter. So there's four of us. Basically, my wife and I play zone defense most of the time. So, <laughs> So good. That's a little bit of our family structure there. Yeah. And we just live downtown Oklahoma City. Yeah. And um, how long have you guys uh, been married? Oof. I don't know. I think we were married. Yeah, we were married around 2002. So what is that, 16 or 17 years? I'm not a math guy. I think that's, I think yeah. that's about something right. Like that. I'm going with 16-ish. It's great. March something. For those who want to try to do the math. Yeah. Well, I always like to get right in it. Yeah. So let's hit it, dogs. Hit so it. F- so for you, um, I always go way, way back with people. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of paint a picture for what life looked like for you in the earliest years of your life. What did your family look like? What was your kind of cultural experience? And what did life look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's so hard for me to to zoom in on some of that stuff in the past. I don't know if I personally blocked it out or I just don't uh, do well with reflecting. But I, yeah, I was born and reared in Southern California, just in a small, kind of small town feel, kind of maybe on the, um, just your middle class, middle road elements. I think my parents, uh, I saw a lot of that, them sacrificing for us as kids. Um, and, uh, but, you know, went to private schools, grew up going to something they might call church, um, and went to, 
yeah, I went to private schools for a Christian university. To, I mean, from Christian preschool to Christian university and everything in between. Um, and, I mean, that would sum up from zero to 18 to 20-something. But, yeah, just kind of was just living life. But I think throughout, if I was to th take a broad stroke of my past, it would be something along the lines of, Throughout the years, I was just super hungry, even as a young kid, for Jesus and uh, what he was up to with my life. Even as a young kid, I remember hearing about the story of Samuel and just leaving a piece of paper and a pen always by my bed as a kid so that if the Lord woke me up in the middle of the morning or night or whatever, he could give me a message. I'd even beg for him to like use my hand to leave me a message of what he wants for my life. And just to control the pen or whatever, you know. And But I was just always bent towards just Jesus, you know. And then I'm not saying it was all uh, perfect through high school and college, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there was always this posture to want uh, to give him my life. But, I mean, I wasn't always letting that happen. And I'm not always saying I'm currently doing that, too, you know, so... That's just kind of a, a broad stroke of who I was as a kid. Yeah. So <clears throat> you, know, you said you had always this bent towards um, just Jesus. Yeah. Um, what did that practically look like in uh, in your experience? Would you say that you you had this natural bent towards Jesus, and um, did that feel like? you were kind of alone in that journey, or did that feel like you kind of had people to walk that process out with you? Oh, yeah, I know. I was, early on, I was, I think there was a lot of people who were on that journey with me, from my folks to good friends, um, great, great friends. And whether I found them within, like, local sports outlets or, um, or just, you know, in church settings, um, but, yeah. It was kind of, I bet I was surrounded by really good friends and, um, yeah, some, uh, some of the names and faces would change over different school seasons or different schools I would attend or whatever, but overall, was, you could, I could tell that the Lord was putting really awesome people in my life, in my path, even older people. Um, yeah, that would be some of the, my best attempt at answering that one. Yeah. Um... So in all that time in the early years, you know, let's say zero to 18, um, would you say that there was any type of um, significant groundbreaking moment in that time? Or did, did you maybe have more of a significant moment after 18? Oh, man. There's, there was always a few big ones every few years that big meaning like groundbreaking life altering scenarios i mean one of them was my freshman year of college there was just something weird about like the transition from being under my family's home roof you know the under their roof to uh to becoming my own man and there was like this breaking thing that needed to happen but the lord was just weird in that for me where it came down to like uh, my car being broken down at school, you know, and I was just asking the Lord to fix it. As weird as that sounds, it didn't start for weeks. And then I just remember one 
one morning, I was woken up to to this phrase, "Go start your car." Which this is gonna sound so weird to the list <laughs> if anyone's listening out there. I mean, like, who hears that, you know? But it kind of goes back to like that Samuel stuff, always. And I mean, I I remember asking uh, my roommate in college. I said, "Did you did you say that, you know?" And uh, I was like, he was like, "What are you talking about, you know?" And I mean, you know, you're coming out of a sleep, so you don't even know what's going on. <laughs> but it was one of those weird things that, like, as soon as I opened the door, I went to the, my car immediately, and the lights turned on, and it wasn't supposed to be on, and I was like, this is crazy. It was almost like this. <laughs> so I went and started the car, and it, I started weeping. It was kind of like this, wait a minute, what if that was the voice kind of thing? But, mm. um, uh, uh so yeah, the Lord got me home. It was a powerful weekend. Like this kind of like release came over me. And I think that was like the beginnings of transition from boyhood to manhood, maybe ish. Um, but there was some way more significant, um, scenarios before 18. Mm -hmm. I mean, after 18, I should say, um, that kind of led us to where we're at today. But that was the beginnings of like this looking back of Jesus kind of guiding my steps and, even kind of guiding me to where I was at at that stage in, at 18. Yeah. Yeah, so would you say, like, up until that point, it was kind of, um, I don't really know how to phrase it, but, like, kind of just... Um, a spirituality under my parents' expression of spirituality yeah. or something like that? Maybe, I think. uh it might have been something like that. I mean, it's hard to say because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So after that moment um, where you kind of feel like um, you had this experience with hearing the voice of God in, in, in kind of a way, uh, where did that take you from there? And And then, like, did you start hearing him more and more? in in that kind of way and then did it did it evolve into um more kind of life directional type stuff yeah i mean as you're asking these questions i haven't even pondered some of these questions until just as you're asking them which is awesome because it's striking up some stuff but some good stuff some good memories it was like it'd be like maybe during those couple years of 18 to 20 something early 20s at like you know, I, I would be tenacious to as I'm driving down the road and I'd hear like turn around and go hang out with that guy at the bus stop or something like that. And uh and just miraculous things would happen. Um but I haven't even thought about this. I mean, these are literally flashbacks mm. that are just popping up. Yeah. Um, or like I remember one day uh in my in my dorms at school, this one guy was like asking me crazy questions, like "Have you ever been baptized?" or something like that. <laughs> and I said no. And if I did, I know that he would want me to like purge some stuff. And this he was like, "Well, what would be the thing that you'd think need to be purged?" I was like, "Well, probably my music." And I don't even know what that meant then or now, but there was just something I knew that I these things I wasn't really willing to give up, hmm. you know, apart from like full surrender. Hmm. And, um, and he said, so if the music was taken away, you would, 
you would be comfortable with baptizing or being baptized or something like that, you know? Yeah. And I was at a Nazarene university, which doesn't even really bend towards baptism, baptism of any sort, you know, but I mean, you do it or if you want to kind of thing. But anyway, it wasn't like something for in the front burner of everybody's mind. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think it was either the next day or that weekend, all of my music was taken except not my sound system. So my, I was in San Diego at the time, and uh, some guy had broken it. Somebody had broken into my car. All the equipment to cut all the wires of my sound system because I had a huge sound system, like a low, uh, kind of a low rider, not a fully low rider truck, but <laughs> right. something with some big twelve-inch yeah. speakers in the back. And and so the amp was still there, the player was still there, but all and I'd put all of my CDs in there together for the first time. Just recent at at that recent point, and then they were all taken except the CD in the player, hmm. and uh, and it was like this like almost this overwhelming gratitude of like the release, wow. not hmm. like what's happened, but this, it was the initial weirdness of like, man, someone violated me by breaking into my car, <laughs> but at the same time, it was like this thing that the Lord kind of like removed for me, but then there was this weird weird thing about the cd that was in the player it was my favorite one which is why it was in there and mm. i just remember it was rage against the machine not that rage is yes. bad or good or whatever <laughs> you know but there was a song that was saying some crazy stuff like f you i won't do it i you tell i tell uh, what is it anyway i won't do what you tell i don't know something and i was like in a bad mood while i was driving and i just felt like i heard the lord say throw that out the window you know <laughs> yeah and as I chucked it, it just felt like this weird thing. And then a couple, so I went a couple months without music. And it was like this, like, retooling. And mm-hmm. then I remember, like, Christmas, my parents gave me this, like, old Maranatha CD of, like, has the deer panteth by the water. Yeah. So I went from, yes. I went from <laughs> rage like, to deer. rage to, yeah. And I'm literally around January weeping as I'm driving down the street, like, as the deer panteth. You know, I'm like, yeah. what is my problem, bro? I'm going through, I got some issues. <laughs> So good. Wow. So how how old? Where where is that in your life? Like I bet I was nineteen or twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, kind of back out and try to get an idea, a big picture. So you're having these kind of these moments where um, you feel like the Lord is like working on different things, and you know you're just experiencing His voice. Um. When did uh, when did you feel like s- he started to speak to you about kind of big life direction? I think there was three or four major crossroads that I had to go through, and it was around the end of college where like things were really starting to heat up as far as like my hunger and thirst for like what is my life going to be used for? For I mean, what is it? What is it? Yeah, what's it for? What's it? What is my? What am I made for? And there was always this kind of even early sense from childhood to that point where I'm like, man, I just feel like there's something significant the Lord wants to do with my life, and I just mm-hmm. want to know what that is. And you know, just those like little like, man, there's something, something I need to find. And uh, so I just remember there's a couple moments where like, um, I don't know, like. Actually, I mean, I'm not even I'm not even sure why I'm talking about this, but there was this moment where, like, I just kind of, like, got to the point where I'm like, 
I'm all yours, Lord. Mm. And it was my senior year of college. And so I ended up, which is, this isn't even, a, this isn't even about baptism, but I ended up getting <laughs> baptized in the ocean with like a couple of my friends with like a couple hundred people. And I came out just kind of like lathered up mm. to real high, high levels um, mm. to just like give my life away. And, you know, I'm coming off getting a degree in business, so I didn't even know what that meant because uh, I was still probably being programmed by the system to pursue the American scheme, dream, whatever they call it. But um, the, the, that moment was like, all right, Lord, here's my life. Every breath goes to you um, and all that. And uh, I'm pretty certain, though, a couple weeks after that, I was down in Mexico partying it up <laughs> still. You know, I'm pretty certain. Um, but, um, yeah, that was that moment. But then also, so I ended up uh, moving north to Orange County, California, and uh, started working in a marketing firm. And uh, it was there that... I could, I could see that like things weren't going as planned in my life as far as like finding satisfaction within the business world. Hmm. I played the role well. I could act like I was happy, but inside I was like rotting away. My bones were like brittle as far as joy goes, hmm. and um, and I should have been happy because I mean, in Orange County, California, everything's perfect. But I knew it, nothing was seemingly perfect in it. And there was an emptiness, heavy, heavy emptiness. And also this weird pressure to keep up with the, the Joneses, I guess. Mm. And, um, and then uh, I just remember the, the Lord directing me to go inland from there. And at that time, going inland from Orange County to the people in Orange County, they would say, it seems like you're going backwards. And... Um, mm-hmm. And it felt like, though, that's where the voice was leading. And it was super, super clear because I remember asking for, like, 12 different doors and because I didn't want any of them to open, and I had to make them incrementally difficult. And so by door 10, mm-hmm. I knew I was screwed because <laughs> they were really clear. And, like, by yeah, it was, a, it was time to go and kind of leave – that business component, because where I think he was leading me was more into the current the current church model as we know it today, as far as like church in a the, the walls and so yeah, then I, that leads me to spending about eight years kind of within I call it going behind the veil and kind of just seeing firsthand. But mm-hmm. even then, there's not real strong bitterness in that because it just felt like eight or ten years of kind of just seeing that side of the, what I call the trifecta of religion, business, or government, which to mm. me is the trifecta of the system. So I got ten, eight, ten years of front row view of that religion, mm. the element of the, the, the trifecta of the system. Wow. But how he led me there was beautiful, ridiculously beautiful. It was there that this voice became really, really, really clear because... I ended up leaving the Orange County job and kind of finding myself unemployed for three months in the highest unemployment rate ever in the history of the United States. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> I, went, I went from being in, you know, interviewing from Fortune 500 companies to Pizza Hut, couldn't find a job for nothing. Wow. 
And then I cursed God out. I threw rocks at the moon, was crying my head off. And then I ran back into my little house and I got on my face and I said, God, who am I to say, you know, what's up and mm. you can have my life. And then it was in that moment I heard the voice again. It was like, <laughs> now I have you where I want you. And from this point on, wherever I take you, it's because of me and not because of you. It was like, it's always for me, like, wow. who, who lords my life? Is it going to be me or him? Like, what did that process of kind of coming into your role within the church, uh, what did that look like? Like, kind of coming into that world from, yeah. from the business environment? Well, I mean, with that bent towards the hunger for giving your life to God, in the business world, you're trying to do that, but there's this, like, you're always selling this product that is kind of always challenging, and you're always just trying to pursue money in that, you know, and, and again, just kind of surrounded with that in, within Orange County, it just still felt empty, so I was trying to find, how do I find fulfillment out of this emptiness? Yeah. And so you kind of would just run naturally towards where's God going to be at, and in my mindset at that point, it was within a church platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did what you normally would start to do in that. You get lathered up about finding a local community of people, which are awesome and just in love with Jesus. And, and then I started, like, you know, serving in children's stuff, they call it. I think they call it children's ministry. Um, and, you know, I, I was at a community where there was, like, three, they call them services, and uh, three services, and uh, and so I'd serve it too, and then go into the third one, and get lathered up to continue doing that, you know, and try to make it through the week, Monday through Friday, within the system of the business world, but from there, I kind of got stirred to do more of, like, the youth stuff, you know, I started cr- climbing the church corporate ladder, mm-hmm. and so you find yourself then into interning it as the youth guy, and then they mm-hmm. tell you you're the youth guy, and then they um, do something kind of like where they might say something like a, they ordain you as like a pastor of something. Um, and that's kind of where that took me. And so at that point, you know, you're kind of thinking, man, this is awesome because obviously God has seen down here on earth some nut job who can maybe carry the that little, that, that part of the work, you know, and, and serve him well in that, you know, and, and so I, and I felt like maybe that was the Lord that took me into that, that structure, because I learned a lot, a lot, a lot, Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that took me into the clergy world, but not like a, they, I think there's a title called like a senior pastor or something like that, I didn't get that high up which was probably good because I don't know if it would have been as easy to walk away from because I feel like the higher you get up that ladder, the harder it is to walk mm-hmm. towards that voice that calls you away from from that and or from whatever he's yeah. calling you what, to lead. What would you say were kind of some of the kind of some of the the more valuable takeaways from that season? Man, I just couldn't believe I was getting paid to just study the word. Hmm. The Bible is powerful. It's the most powerful book on the earth. And to get a chance to kind of be surrounded with people who are hungry for the word and to kind of 
kind of be trained in an era of like reading the Bible and getting a chance to digest it and share it with others. I mean, that it's like a, that's a huge privilege in itself right there. Mm. Um, and, you know, get a heart to help people, to be available to people, and to, to, to serve the Lord as best as I knew there, you know. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just think that and the relationships that come along with that, I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're awesome. And pe the people were awesome. Mm -hmm. Lots of love there. So you make it sound like there was a transition from that point. Oh, yeah. Into kind of the next yeah. epoch of time, next oh, season yeah. of time. What uh, I'd love to hear about kind of how that all came about. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, fast forward now to either late 20s or early 30s. Uh, my business side of me and the church job side of me combining led me to kind of part-time investing in some real estate in Southern California. Um, and, uh, and then ended up kind of getting nervous about Southern California prices, my portfolio and all that. And um, and so that took me to this hunch that maybe I should diversify into other places, and that leads me to like really lo locations exactly. Yeah. And that led me to a conversation with my good friend Joe Quinlan, who tells me of this little town called Oklahoma City <laughs> that there's gold on every corner. <laughs> That's right. And so I flew out from L.A. with. Uh, some money that we had leveraged off the leveraged of the other leveraged houses that were leveraged off of other leveraged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, we're part of the problem of what caused the collapse in 2008. <laughs> but, um, but needless to say, uh, spent a weekend um, purchasing a few things with some partners. And um, one of those purchases happens to be this little apartment downtown Oklahoma City that I would find out maybe a year or two later was the, one of the largest crack house and prostitution rings in the state of Oklahoma. Hmm. And hmm. That's the, that, was, that was what began the path for me of beginning to lose all sorts of stuff, including finances and hmm. even broken some relationships. Um, and But in that was some of the most epoch kind of scenarios of time, uh, epoch of time scenario. I don't know how to say that, but <laughs> it was monumental wow. because it was there in 2007 where I was in the church office. I locked the door. I get on my face begging for God to deliver me because I was literally ultra, ultra depressed and wanting to die, ask God to wipe me off the earth started believing tons of lies like mm -hmm. you're a huge failure, your family would be better off without you, mm -hmm. things like that. And then I just remember getting on my face and that voice started telling me things like, why don't you do this and this and that. And without going into too many details, it was just super powerful. And then miraculously, there was a scenario where it worked out for me to go to Oklahoma City and try to get just everything in line, just get. Mm -hmm. And so I it was fasting during this time of uh, these few days of just asking God to deliver me with this wild card through a wild call card I would might call fasting. And mm -hmm. it was in the middle of this week that I called the book of Acts where 
life as I know it began to transition drastically. The the this, referring to this book of Acts coming to life, I say that because <clears throat> I had gone through church my whole life. I went to Christian schools my whole life, but I saw more of Jesus in this one week than I had in all of my life put together. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there is hours and hours of stories of like what took place during that week. And it was so, so powerful. And in that week, I could hear this voice clear, real, real clear, scary clear. And in that voice, or in that week, the voices, that voice would wake me up in the middle of the night or say things as I'm walking the the halls of this crack house. And there was just times where it was either in Scripture or through others or just as I'm looking out at the city. Things were just blowing up in my heart and my mind for what he wanted to do in Oklahoma City. Mm. I would say one of the big mamba jambos was in the middle of the night. I'm sleeping on my friend Joel Olympics floor in his little house. And I hear the, I just get woken up told to read Zechariah 7 and 8. And um, Zechariah 7, it says in the middle of it, are you fasting for you or for me? And I mean, I'm coming off a three or four day fast <laughs> in that moment. And I said out loud on this on this air mattress, I said, uh, 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 for me. <laughs> and the next verse, it says, well, this is what I'd rather you do. Execute true justice, mercy, and compassion, everyone to his brother, the widow, the fatherless, the alien, and the poor. And all this stuff was being introduced to me about kind of at least the Lord's heart for my life or the Lord's heart for the city or the church of the city or the nation or something. But there was something evident that he was calling us to think drastically, something different. And even the word justice scared me. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, But then um, Zechariah 8, the next chapter is all about a new type of city and kind of starts lacing really gently in there, like something about neighbors. And then... um, the next, the next, uh, the next day, it was read Haggai, and so my question in the middle of the night was, well, which chapter? And then I just heard read Haggai, mm-hmm. and I was kind of mad. I was mad all week because I didn't really want the book of Acts to unfold. I wanted to get out of Oklahoma City and get back to kind of my comfortable, comfortable mm-hmm. cruise line ship that was happening in Southern California, and um, and then. Uh, in Haggai, it says, you worry about your own pal to house when my temple lies in ruins. So mm-hmm. there was this immediate thought of, like, all my all my pursuit of these houses were actually eating me alive, but really the focus was at the temple. And in that moment, the idea shifted from the temple being a building to the people in mm-hmm. that really wow. moment, that gnarly moment. It was, yeah. it was, that was just the beginnings of an epoch that radically began to shift uh, almost everything about us. Mm. One of the climactic things, well, there were several of them, but in the middle of this week, I would uh, see pimps and prostitutes weeping in the halls, repenting. I would see the the, the doorman of the one of the gang leaders, one of the Oklahoma's most wanted, um, 
basically come past me and he would say things like, I mean, it was just so weird. I could, it was just the weirdest statements that would come out of my mouth. But this guy was coming around the corner and I said, hey man, how are you? And he said, I'm tired. And I said the cheesiest thing I could have ever thought of, which was, I know the one who brings rest. I mean, who says statements like that? <laughs> and uh, he starts to weep immediately. And I was like, kind of mad. Like I don't have time for this. Kind of like a, <laughs> kind of like a Jonah. And it was later, few minutes later, that this guy and I had to leave the halls of that building because the crack aroma was just too heavy for me. And um, and so we're out front of the building, and and then um, this guy or girl kind of person walks up to us and says in a feminine voice, I think it was a guy though, says, "What's going on with this building?" And this guy says, "Jesus is taking it back." And there was this phrase that would happen throughout the week that Jesus was doing something. And so a lot of times people are always quick to say things like, are you the one that started this or whatever? And I'm like, nope, Jesus started it. We stumbled into it. We didn't even mean to do this. And uh, at the end of the week, I'm so I'm kind of like flabbergasted to the highest level. And I say this question, I, I think that Saul asks on the road to Damascus, where his epoch of time changed everything. And... um he said, what do you want me to do? And I asked the same question, what what do you want me to do? And I just remember hearing the word disciple, like it was so clear. And then also at the same time, like for some reason, that has been a word that's been used throughout the generations. But I didn't think, I could think honestly at that time that a disciple of 2007 or 8 was the, that was mere anything to what was happening in a discipleship culture in 2000, uh, I mean in zero or, mm. or mm. 60 mm. AD in this that that like somehow maybe as in pursuit of Jesus I got pursuit of Jesus in the religion sector but not in Jesus as the way Hey guys, Steven here. Just a couple more quick things. If you enjoyed the conversation, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would like more content from Ember, subscribe to our monthly content at emberhq.com. And as always, if you have any questions or thoughts for us, don't hesitate to email us at info at emberhq.com. Thanks so much for listening. A little closer.